we are two weeks in to my sprint group, which if you don't know what that is, these are like these four-week groups just to give people a chance to connect and meet some different people. And my sprint group that I'm a part of is um, everybody at similar age and stage kind of thing. So we're all kind of just couples that are trying to get through this season of life with jobs and kids and just all of the demands. We're, we're the adulting um, sprint group. That's what we are. And it's funny because you know you've reached a certain point in life when this happens because we have our group on Tuesday nights. And last week, I tried to give my group an opportunity. It's eight couples. I said, guys, I get it. It's Valentine's Day this next Tuesday. Now, if you guys want to cancel group for a week, we are happy to do it because I want to let everybody off the hook and not feel guilty about missing group for to go on a date night. Nobody had any plans for Valentine's Day. Not a single, not a single couple. They were like, no, we're going to be at your house, Brian, because we're not romantic anymore. We're just trying to juggle kids and jobs and lives. Now, it's funny because I love having these group times because it makes Nicole and I feel like we're not alone in this journey because sometimes the whole adulting thing just really isn't that fun. And sometimes it actually makes me nostalgic for the childhood years. Some of us, do you remember the days when you just disappeared for a whole day and nobody thought you were kidnapped? Like, they just assumed you're out having fun and you didn't have to wear a GPS device around your wrist if you were a kid? Like, those were great days. Sometimes I miss being a kid. Growing up is overrated sometimes, isn't it? I wish somebody told me that before I did it. Now, there is one thing, though, about the childhood years that I actually don't miss a whole lot. Like, I, I don't care to relive, and actually it is school. I, I actually don't mind being out of school because there was one thing about school that I always dreaded so much, and it was tests. Now, except for the nerds in the room, everybody else is with me right now, okay? Because there is nothing worse than having your intelligence in a subject measured on a 0 to 100 scale. And some of us, maybe you, you felt this anxiety too. Sometimes those grades follow you for years. Like you can't even get rid of them. And actually, finals week, I don't know who invented that. I don't know of a worse way to torture a teenager than saying you're, basically your entire grade for the semester is going to be measured during this one week when you have seven tests at the same time. And what you're going to do is regurgitate a bunch of information you are then going to forget the next week. It's just a horrible system. Does anybody remember high school, the ACT, SAT tests? Anybody remember all that stuff? Um, I thought my mother loved me. I thought she did. And then she made me take the ACT three times, okay? So I learned something about my mother's love for me after that. I know we have a handful of people in grad school right now who are going through that process. The GRE is an interesting test where it asks you to pair all these random words that you'll never use the rest of your life, but somehow are important to measure, again, if you're going to be successful in your career. Tests. Any normal person in here does not enjoy tests. It's not something we look to do. And today, I actually want to talk about a totally different kind of test. Because we are in week six, everybody, of Take the Lid Off. I have loved this series. I think it has challenged our church. It's stretched me. We are going to finish it off next week, and I always get a little sad when we finish off series I'm loving, but I'm telling you, we got a banger coming up after this series, okay? We got a great new series starting up on the 26th in two weeks. You don't want to miss that, but if you are just joining us and you're kind of coming in midway towards the tail end, I just want to catch you up. Taking the lid off is kind of this figure of speech we're using for taking any limitations off of God in our life. 
for removing any barriers that we might have in the way of experiencing everything God wants for us. We want to totally remove anything that can stop the power and presence of God in our life. And today, we're talking about tests, but we're not talking about ACTs or SATs. We are actually talking about tests from God. Now, there are going to be times in your life when God will put you in situations to test your lids. There's going to be times when God is going to give you opportunities to take them off or keep them on. And as much as tests create anxiety in us, <laughs> I hate them, I hope you see today that actually the tests from God are some of the greatest gifts and opportunities that he will ever bring into your life. So let's dig into this idea a little bit. We're going to talk about tests. We're going to be in Genesis 22. To set the stage, we're, we're going back to a guy that, who's kind of weaved himself into this series a little bit. You can't have a series like this without talking about it. We're going to be talking about Abraham again today. And again, if he's a new character for you, he's kind of a main character in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. And at this point in his life, he's kind of reached a good spot, everybody. You know, he's kind of settling in. Things are kind of working well for him. He's been through some hard stuff, but right now he's kind of enjoying the fruit of some hard seasons. He's made it through. So he's kind of good right now. And aren't you grateful for those seasons sometimes when you can just kind of chill a little bit? It's okay to have a good season. Abraham's in a good season. Things are about to change, though, just a little bit. Genesis 22, verse 1, look what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, hold up. God tested Abraham? Since when is God the one who's putting tests out? What does it even mean that God tests a person? What does this even look like? What are we talking about? If you do read through the Bible at any point in time, you will actually see this idea of tests kind of weaved through the whole thing. It's kind of interesting. It pops up at different places. Proverbs 17, verse 3 says, The crucible for silver in the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now, this is the image that the Bible often uses when it talks about testing. It's this idea of a refiner. So if you're unfamiliar with this process, refiners will often take a piece of ore, like rock, and what they do is it's mostly nasty, useless stuff, but they know there's some precious stuff inside of it, so they have to put it through a refining process. So they'll get a crucible, which is this object that can take on unbelievably high temperatures, like up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. They'll put the ore inside of that, and as it goes through this refining process, you hope to come out the other side with something like this, a perfect 24-karat piece of gold. Now, what's interesting, if, if you, I mean, 24-karat gold, that is metal that has no impurities in it anymore. It's perfectly pure gold. But the only way you get to that is through extreme heat. So the definition of a test is when the heat is turned up in your life. When things start to get hot. When things start to get more difficult and not pleasant. Now this is right where so many people trip up when it comes to the Christian faith. Because the moment the heat gets turned up in our life, what do we do? We go, oh, God hates me. I'm being punished. I got voted off the island. 
Like, this wouldn't be happening to me if God loved me. And this is where American Christianity has failed us, everybody. We have somehow bought the lie that hardship means God's hate in our lives. And actually, that is not at all how this works. We need to shift our perspective on this. James 1 gives us really the attitude we should have when it comes to tests. Look at James 1, starting verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. I love that idea of pure because we were just talking about pure gold. Man, don't even get me started. There's good stuff there. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the, what's the word? Testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I got to be so careful right now. Later this year, we are going to go through the entire book of James as a church. I'm so excited about that. I want to start preaching it right now, everybody. I can't even hold back right now. It's going to be some good stuff. Sometimes we do some topical things. Sometimes we're going to go hard into a book. It's going to be good. So I got to stop myself because this is coming down the pipe. But really, the big idea... What James is trying to say here, and what we need to understand is, God does not test to sabotage. He tests to strengthen. God is not trying to set you up for failure. That's not what he's trying to do. And testing is not some pass or fail exam. It is a refining process designed to remove impurities in your life. It's designed to loosen and take off lids. So God is not trying to put you through some pass-fail situation. He's trying to perfect you as a person. So any trial you bump into, James said, many kinds, any test that you go through is not God's punishment. It's not his angry wrath. It is his loving hand holding the fire up to your life at just the right temperature in just the right place so he can refine and bring out the best possible version of you. That's the heart of God. That's what he's trying to do. Now, God is about to put Abraham through a testing process. And we get to see what it looks like here. Let's continue reading. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, you can make an argument that this is the single most disturbing verse in the entire Bible. What are you talking about, God? Sacrifice my kid? Are you crazy? Are you insane? Do you even know what you're asking? And actually, these types of verses are why most people say, this is why I can't take the Bible seriously. This is why I don't understand Christians. This is why I can't worship or believe in this God. Because even if this is just some type of spiritual test, Brian, how dare God ask Abraham to even consider something like that? Like, how dare he put Abraham into a situation like that? How unfair to this guy to even ask something so ridiculous? And actually, you should be feeling that way on some level. 
You should. This sounds utterly insane. Now, let me at least give some context, though, because we're talking about something that happened 4,000 years ago. There is context here. At this moment in time, in the ancient Near East, people worshipped a variety of fertility gods. And they believed that these fertility gods could demand any sacrifice of them, no matter what they asked. And many times, they believed that involved even child sacrifice. And the horrific thing is there were actually even accounts throughout the Bible of people even practicing this with their own children. Now, while that's true, there are multiple places throughout the Bible where God absolutely condemns this practice. Now, think about that. God's morality doesn't change. If it did change, that means he could improve. And he's already perfect. So it's not like God's opinion on the matter could change. It's not like he's fine with it at one point and then he's not fine with it later. So we're watching this whole thing from the outside. We're looking at an event that's already happened, like the movie's already done. Abraham is living in it in the moment. So we have to appreciate this. He has a totally different view on what's going on here. And as horrifying as it would be for Abraham to receive this ask, you at, at least have to understand this. Abraham lived in a cultural moment where this practice was pretty common, it was known, and some people even promoted it. And so it would not be outside of the realm of possibility for Abraham that maybe God might even ask him to do this. And so what you need to see is God is using a cultural moment as a crucible in Abraham's life. And what's the test, though? What is God actually asking of Abraham right here? Why this? Why does this have to be the test for him? Why couldn't it be something else? Well, again, let's, let's appreciate context here. Track with me, all right? This is, this is important context. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they couldn't have kids. They were infertile. And God made a promise to him. He said, you're going to have a kid. You two are going to have a kid together. And they waited decades for this promise to come through. And then at one moment in time, when they are old and way past the point of this ever even being able to happen on multiple levels, Isaac is born. He is the promised child for them. He is this one and only son that they truly had been promised and been hoping for. And here's the thing. God makes an even bigger promise to Abraham. He says, hey, through this kid, I'm going to bring generations. I'm going to use your family line to bless the world. It's going to happen through Isaac. So Everything that Abraham's life is about, his purpose, his legacy, the whole reason he was placed on this earth depends on Isaac. Particularly depends on Isaac being alive. Okay, that would be a much better scenario. Everything circles around this kid. It's his whole life. So this is the test. Abraham, will you trust me with everything? That's the test. Abraham, are you willing to take the last lid off of your life? Are you willing to trust me with absolutely everything? Are you willing to trust me with the one thing that your life, your purpose, your legacy depends on? Are you willing to trust me with the one thing you love more than anything in this world? Are you willing to trust me for the one thing you've been waiting your whole life for? Are you willing 
to trust me with all of it and lay it all down for me. Now, what if God asked that of you? What if God asked you for everything? What would your response be? Now, for many of us, can we have a moment of honesty here? Many of us in here, you call yourself a Christian. I do too. We would say, yes, God is the most important thing in my life. He absolutely is. And yet, we bump into lids, don't we? And we realize when we go through different tests and situations, oh, God is something in my life, but he's not everything. And I do believe in God, but I think I believe in some other things more. There's a really interesting story out of Jesus' life. Some of you guys might recognize this story. Jesus is going about his business, doing his thing, and he has an encounter with a guy. And they start having just a theological conversation. So this guy's like, hey, I heard about this thing called eternal life. That sounds pretty good. How do I get some of that? And so they, they kind of go back and forth talking about some biblical things. And the guy is like, I don't understand. I still feel like I'm missing something. Like there's a gap here. I have a lid. And Jesus, again, being Jesus, he's reading the situation perfectly. He sees into this guy's heart's heart and his motivations. And he says, okay, there is one thing actually you lack. You got one last lid. And he says, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. Now, interesting. Jesus never asked that of anybody else. In the same way, God never asked anybody else what he asked of Abraham. Sometimes God will cater the ask to your lid because he knows what it is. And Jesus saw what this guy's everything was. It was his money. And for those of you guys who don't know how the story ends, it says this man walked away sad because he had great wealth. Think about this. This guy was staring God in the face. He got invited into the greatest adventure of his entire life to join Jesus in the redemption of humanity. And he said no. It was too much of an ask. God asked too much. Now, this is the question we have to ask ourselves. What is God not allowed to ask of you? What's too much of an ask? What's the thing that God might press on that you would say no to? Can we just have an honest moment here again? I'm talking just to the Christians right now. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you just get a clean pass right now, okay? Many of us, we'd say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. God is my everything. But then God makes an ask. He says, okay, will you trust me with your romantic life, your relationships? And we say, ooh, ooh, God. You know what? I'm going to have to pass on that one because I want to keep living with that person. I plan on still sleeping with that person. I plan on engaging with that content. Sometimes God makes an ask. He says, will you trust me with your money? We say, whoa, 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 God, okay. I trust you with my soul, but my money? That's going a little too far. I mean, I'll go to heaven and everything, but 
I got to keep my money in my hands because I don't know what you're going to do with it. Um, God says, are you willing to trust me with your kids? And really the answer is, well, no, God, because I need to play God in their life, not you. That's my job. I need to micromanage everything because I'm not sure how you're going to do it. And what we realize is that there are certain things that God cannot ask us. We have a lid. I'm wondering, what could God ask you that would cause you to hesitate? When I knew this sermon was coming up, this was kind of a heart check for me. I'll be honest with you guys. I remember I was taking just a walk around the neighborhood, and I was thinking about this. I was like, man, what is God not allowed to ask me? You know? And I'm like, oh, geez, I'm a pastor, so I have to, like, kind of, like, uh, do this thing right, don't I? You know, there's some accountability here. And as I was processing it, I was like, man... You really don't know until God asks. You really don't know. You want to believe that you would say yes to whatever. But when I was really thinking about it, I was like, man, God, I really don't know how I'd respond if you were like, hey, just go sell it all. I'd probably pause a little bit. I would need to sleep on it. You know, if he asked me about certain things, whether it be kids or career or family, whatever, I, I'm like, God, this is a heart check for me. I hope I'd pass the test, but I don't know. Until I take it. And sometimes, God makes the ask. And God just made a huge ask of Abraham. He throws this guy right into the crucible and turns the heat up 2,000 degrees. Now, what happens to Abraham when the heat gets turned up? Let's see. Verse 3. Early the next morning. Wow. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. The next morning? I mean, geez, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, God, give me a couple days, okay? I need to make some calls. I need to get some input on this thing. The very next morning, this guy didn't even hesitate. He just gets up right the next day, and he makes this thing happen. Now, some of us are like, wow, what radical obedience. And some of us are like, wow, how delusional is this guy? How crazy is he? And you have to look at this. You have to ask, what made Abraham follow through with no hesitation? What would lead this guy to have so much confidence to say, okay, God, I'm just going to start moving. I'm going to do this thing. Because here's what you see. Tests reveal something. They reveal what's really going on inside. All the impurities and what's really in there starts to come up when the heat is turned up. And we're starting to see what is bubbling up out of Abraham's life. And actually, this is interesting. I've never caught this before, right? This is interesting Bible nerd stuff, okay? So track with me. Any, any of the Bible nerds in here, you're going to love this, okay? This is interesting to me. We get a hint at what's going on in Abraham's mind right now. Let's keep going in verse 4. It says this. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance where this is going to go down. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now hold up, Abraham. You know there is no we uh, happening here at all. You know there's one person who's coming back down from this mountain. And it's not your son. And every time I read this passage, my entire life, and this is what shows you. This is why you got to keep studying the Bible. This whole time, I thought Abraham was lying to his servants. I was like, oh, he's just deceiving them so they don't try to stop him. This is just him doing what he thinks he has to do. That's how I read the text my entire life. But, man, I feel like 
God helps you. You've got to keep studying the Bible, everybody, because sometimes you realize you miss stuff because actually that is not at all what's happening here. I feel very confident about that now. In Hebrews 11, we get an absolute picture into Abraham's thought process right in this moment of his life, and it shows us what he's really thinking. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, all right, we're talking about this very moment, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So again, God promised him this. He said, Isaac, it's all going to happen, all the things. But this is the key verse, everybody. This is what changed my whole perspective on it. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Okay, we get a whole different picture of what Abraham's actually thinking in this moment. Track with me. God made Abraham a promise. And this writer of Hebrews says he was holding on tight to it. He was clinging to this promise. And throughout Abraham's entire life, God had proved himself trustworthy every single step of the way. At the, be at the beginning of the story, God's like, hey, go to a new land. You're going on a journey. And Abraham goes, and God proves himself faithful. He gets right to where he needs to be. God gets him through famines. He gets him through battles. He even protects his wife from other guys who are trying to hook up with her. Even when Abraham messes up, God is still faithful to him. So he's been through an entire refining process his entire life. Even when kids were an impossibility, God came through on a promise decades later and brought Isaac into his life. So track with me. Abraham went through the process of the heat in his life and he got to a place where his faith got to such a purified level that he's thinking, okay, if Isaac has to die, then I guess God's just going to bring him back to life because that's who my God is. He does not fail in his promises. He always comes through. So I am going to trust this God with everything. Do you see what Abraham developed? Do you see where he got to? Abraham developed a no-lids life. He had zero limitations on God. He trusted him with everything. He had so much confidence in God that he even knew death itself would not stop God's promises in his life. Do you, that's next level, everybody. That is next level. Now, this past summer, um, my family met up with my side of the family, my sister and her kids, and we went to Silver Dollar City, y'all. I know we got some Missouri folk out there. We love you, Missouri folk. Silver Dollar City, if you don't know what it is, it, it's an amusement park. It is hokey, okay? This is Middle Earth, all right? I'm from Midwest. I can say that. Um, so we go to Silver Dollar City, and we do all the little kitty rides to satisfy the kids. We do the ladybugs and the frog rides, all the lame stuff. But then you just have to have that moment, everybody, where you do some coasters, all right? You got a piece of adults. Any coaster people in the room? Come on, where are my, my adrenaline junkies at? So we hit all the coasters and are having a great time. But when you really think about it, you know what makes a roller coaster fun? Truly, you know what separates the really fun coasters from the not fun ones. It's actually, it's not the particular twists. 
It's not the turns. It's not whether it's a wooden or a metal roller coaster. You know what it really is? It's one piece of equipment. It's the harness. The harness is what makes a roller coaster fun. Truly, it's the only thing that actually makes a coaster fun because the harness is the only thing that gives you confidence to raise your hands up and scream like a middle school girl instead of screaming in terror. It's the only thing that allows you to do that. It's the only reason you get on the ride at all. You wouldn't even be getting on the ride if it didn't have a harness. Could you imagine what kind of roller coaster that would be? Now, one of the reasons we don't live on the same level as Abraham, the reason we don't get to a no-lids life, we don't trust the harness. God says, hey, I got a ride I want you to get on. Trust me, it's going to be good. You know what we say? Mm, I don't know, God. First off, I'm not much of a coaster person in the first place. I'm more of like a lazy river person. Secondly, that harness, it don't look very sturdy. It looks a little shaky. I'm not sure about this. And deep down, we don't really believe that God can get us safely to the end of the ride. And so we go down the loops and the twists and the drops of life, and instead of lifting our hands in faith, trusting God, we are screaming bloody murder the whole time, freaking out like we are going to fall off the ride. And this is why most people don't get on the ride at all. Most people never get on the ride with God. And they keep that lid on nice and tight. So Abraham was different. This is what set him apart. He had seen God hold him tight and steady enough in his life. He didn't doubt the ride. And even when things got off the tracks, he still had the confidence to know that it was safer on that ride with God than anywhere else. And even when Isaac was facing death itself, Abraham knew his own son was safer with God in that situation than anywhere else. Abraham achieved a no-lids life. There was nothing God could not ask of him. What ride does God have you on right now? Anybody going through some twists and turns right now? Anybody got some loops you're going on? Maybe you're in the middle of a drop right now? Now, I want to be sensitive to this because here's the thing. There are very real overwhelming situations that I even know many people in our church are facing right now in this moment. And it's one thing to go to an amusement park and ride a roller coaster, but when you're on the ride of your life and the stakes are everything in your life, it feels like a totally different experience. But can I press a little bit? Do you think God's hands are not strong enough to hold you in? Do you not think you're safe and secure with him controlling the ride? Do you think you're on the one ride that God can't handle? I'm curious, 
Has God ever really failed you? Has he? Has he really fallen short on any promises in your life? I see some of us in here, you're still standing. You're living for another day. You're ready to fight another fight. Like, it doesn't look like God has fully abandoned you yet. Why don't you trust the harness? Why don't you have confidence in it? I'm telling you right now, whatever ride God has you on, it is safer than any other place you could be. You are locked in so safely that not even death itself can stop God's purposes in your life. That's how secure you are. Now, Abraham is going on the ride of his life. I mean, this is a buckle-up moment, right? And we're about to see how he does in this situation. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Could you imagine just the knife through Abraham's heart right now? Can you just imagine what that must have felt like to have your son asking that question? Now look at Abraham's response, verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. God himself will provide. Again, I always read that as Abraham lying to his son. Like a good dad, right? We lie to our kids when we have to. I don't think that's what Abraham was doing. I don't think he was lying when he said that. Every test that God brings into your life is going to put you in a place where you need him to provide. This is the definition of a test from God. It will require the provision of God. If you are able to be your own harness, I'm telling you this right now, you're not on one of God's rides. You might be in the kiddie pool, but you are not on a ride with God. And there are times in your life where you are going to have to decide, everybody, am I going to get off the ride and just tighten that lid on nice and tight, or am I going to just buckle up and put my hands in the air and trust God to do his thing? And this is why so many people don't see the power of God in their lives, because we're unwilling to put him in a position for him to provide. We think he's asking too much. We think it's too scary. We don't think it's worth the risk. But Abraham, he got to the point where he said, God, no lids. I'm putting my hands up, and I'm going to keep moving forward. And Abraham gets to the moment. He puts Isaac on the altar. He's got the knife. He is going through with his worst nightmare that God asked him to do. And he lifts this thing up on his son, and he's about to drive it through his kid. And in that moment, he hears a voice. God calls out, hold up. Don't you dare lay a finger on that boy. Because now I know there's nothing you would withhold from me. And in this moment, God provides everybody. Abraham looks off to his side. There's a ram right there, the substitute for Isaac. He gets to pull Isaac off the altar, and God makes a way, everybody, an absolute miracle. At the worst, hardest moment in his life, God comes through on the promise 
like he always does. A couple weeks ago, I think this was even before Christmas, I preached a sermon where I said, I want to test you guys, see if you actually listen to these sermons, okay? I said, God's plan, God's Okay, that's good. Seven people remember my sermons. I'm very encouraged, everybody. I know everybody online, you're much better listeners than that. But no, God's plan, God's problem. That was the whole point of the sermon. If God's calling you into something, it is his problem to figure it out. It really is. He doesn't require you to have all the answers. You know what is another way to say it that I think you see from this message? God's plan, God's provision. This is the guarantee you have from God. If he is calling you into something, if he has asked you to take a lid off, if he is asking you for everything, he promises, he guarantees with no hesitation that he will provide. He will make a way. He will come through. He will not fail. The harness will always hold. And actually, I have seen this in my own life. I am a living witness to this. I have referenced this moment already in a couple sermons. I apologize. I've only lived one life. so. Um, but this truly has been a defining moment in my life. This is, it's one of the most defining moments I've ever had with God in my walk of faith. And I know many of you guys are new to this church. So anyways, I think it's worth sharing again. Um, this was right in the beginning of COVID, March of 2020. I lost my job at a church. I was, I was laid off. It was an absolute just total situation. And... It was just a mess. We had a kid with medical needs at the time. And so, I mean, this was just the worst possible situation you could imagine, you know, for Nicole and I. And I was starting to vibrate. You know, I wasn't dressed in the harness at all. I was like, we are going to fall apart. This is the end of the bigger family as we know it. I'm going to be living in my in-law's basement the rest of my life, which I love my in-laws, but you know how it is. So in one of my frenetic moments, I remember being on the phone with my mom. And she said, Brian... If God doesn't come through, this will be the first time it has ever happened in history. (laughs) Mom, you got to clap, okay? And interestingly, the reason why this was such a defining moment in life, it was the first time where in the middle of the situation, I felt like I recognized it as a test. Usually it's only after the fact you're like, oh, God was in that. I was in the middle of it. I'm like, wait a second. I've got an opportunity here. This is a test. The heat's turning up in my life. I do not want to waste this opportunity because I got nothing else to lose, everybody. I got no job. I got no plan. The world is falling apart. Do you remember March 2020, everybody? You got to look back to that. That was when things actually felt crazy. And so I'm like, I got nothing to lose. So I made a document on my computer called Truth in the Test. And it basically was a list of scriptures and declarations and things I was praying for. And I used it every single day. I was praying over this stuff. I'm like, God, I'm not wasting this opportunity. I'm going to pass this test. I'm going to. I'm committed to seeing this thing through. And there was one scripture that was the primary one at the top. Every single day I read this thing. And I'm not telling you this because I'm some super spiritual guy. I was desperate. I got no plan. There's nothing else I could do. But this top of the scripture was the exact scripture for Abraham, after God came through in this moment in his life, Genesis twenty-two fourteen, 14, it says this. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. He marked that moment in his life. He said, I know, without a doubt, my God comes through. 
And every single day, I said, God, it says it in your word. You promised it. I'm coming at you with your own Bible, God, all right? <laughs> you're, the, you're the one who said it, all right? So this is on you. And every day, I just brought it back on God. I said, God, you said you're a provider. I need you to provide. You know what I need. I need you to come through. Every single day, I declared it. Every single day, I prayed it. I was like a freakish crazy man, all right, in my room praying this out. And what is crazy is that two-month window in Nicole's and I's lives, I never had a file for unemployment. It was the most lucrative two months Nicole and I have ever had in our lives before or since on a level that is hilarious to even talk about. And God even used that situation to pave the way for me to be standing before you right now as the pastor of this church. Don't tell me that God doesn't provide everybody. Don't you dare tell me that God doesn't make a way. In the middle of one of the hardest moments, I can tell you right now, God provides. He makes a way. The harness holds everybody. You can get on that ride. And now look at how God responds to Abraham after this moment for him. Verse 16, God says this, I swear by myself. Isn't that so funny? God's like, I swear to God. Oh, wait, that's me, okay? He's like, I got nobody else to swear. I'm like, God's funny. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, you gave me everything, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, Isaac, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Do you see this? This test was not to set Abraham up for failure. It was to set him up for blessing. That's what God was doing. And God is saying, because you trusted me with everything, I am going to bless you in ways you never even imagined. That is beyond comprehension for you. You trust me with one son? I am going to give you generations of people. I am going to flood the earth with descendants for you. And they are going to bless the world. We think, oh, God's trying to take something from me. God's trying to take something out of my life. And God is saying, no, I am trying to take the last lid off your life so I can pour so much blessing in, it will overflow on the sides for you. That's what I'm trying to do. And so this is really the challenge for us, everybody. And this is the confidence you need to have as we get ready to land the plane here. Sacrifice is your greatest security. Now track with me. Whatever God asks of you, and trust me, it might come at a great cost. God might ask something very hard of you. But whatever he asks, he will give back to you in exponential measure. He will bless beyond your wildest imaginations. The blessings of God will always far outweigh the cost of the sacrifice. Always. It is a guarantee. And some of us here today, what you feel right now, the moment you're living in, you're saying, Brian, doesn't feel like God's coming through on his promise. Like I am not seeing the miraculous provision. You're in the middle of a ride 
the harness is feeling a little shaky right now. And I just want to give you some confidence. I want to give you a guarantee. If you will just trust God with everything, he's going to get you to the end. He's going to make a way. He's going to provide in ways you couldn't have even imagined. And he will bring a blessing on the other side that is beyond anything you could have ever even imagined. And you know why you can believe this? You know why it's a guarantee? Because this is not just some random story. It's not just some event from history. It's a preview of the future. This moment in Abraham's life was like the trailer of the actual movie coming. Think about it this way. By a miracle of God, Sarah had a son, Isaac. This was the son in whom they were well pleased. He was the son of promise. Isaac was led by his father, carrying the very wood for his sacrifice. And then that knife was raised on Isaac and a voice called out, stop. And the Bible tells us that in a sense, Isaac was raised from the dead. He basically was brought back to life because a substitute was provided on his behalf. 2,000 years later after this event, another son was born. This son was born by a miracle from a woman named Mary, a descendant of Isaac. And his name was Jesus, the son of ultimate promise. And Jesus, he endured every test, test after test after test, and he passed every single one without fail. Jesus had a truly no-lids life with his heavenly father, even to the point where on the night he was betrayed, he said, God, not my will, your will be done. The answer is always yes. There is nothing you can't ask of me. And then Jesus was led up a mountain by his own father, carrying the very wood for his own sacrifice, the wood of the cross. And yet when those nails were raised over his hands, there was silence. No voice called out to stop because we were supposed to be on that cross. Our sins were what should have placed us on that cross, but God instead provided a substitute. He provided himself in our place for our forgiveness out of his own love he gave everything on our behalf you see abraham's situation was a preview of what god has done for you of what he's done for me and what he's done for this whole world so that through faith in jesus you become a precious son a promised daughter of the Most High King, of God himself. Do you see what I'm saying today? God gave everything for you. He gave everything for you. And anything you would ask of God is always a yes in Jesus. There's nothing you can't ask of him. And so when God asks anything of you, you need to know it is ultimately for your good. It is his loving work in your life. You don't need to hold back. You don't need to hesitate. You can get on that ride. You can trust the harness because truly the only way you're going to pass the tests that come in your life is to trust the one who passed 
the ultimate test. And he did for you. God has no lids for you. He gave everything for you. So the only proper response is to take the lid off everybody and give everything to him. And I promise you, when you do that, you will experience the thrill and blessing of a no-lids life. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just need to thank you right now. You are so worthy of our praise. God, your work in Abraham's life, your work through history, that you would even take a moment thousands of years ago as just a small glimpse into what you ultimately had planned for all of us. Lord, we can't even fathom your work in history. What you were really involved in, what you were doing, is just, it's beyond our own comprehension. It's incredible. And Lord, we just want to take a moment and thank you. Thank you for giving everything for us. Thank you, Lord, for laying everything down on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for sacrificing your son, for laying your own life down on our behalf. God, because of you, we truly can be free. We can have hope. We can live again into eternity. And so now, Lord, I pray as we get ready to close out the series next week, I pray, God, you would help us achieve and develop a no-lids life. Lord, for those of us who follow you, we want the answer to be yes. We don't want there to be anything that you can't ask of us. We want to give everything to you because we know, Lord, that is where the greatest safety is. That's where the greatest blessing is. That is where the greatest ride of life is. And for any of us in here, if you have not trusted your life to Jesus, maybe you still have so many lids, you've held yourself back. I'm telling you, he gave everything for you. Everything. And the only proper response is to give everything to him, all of your life. And so right now, you can reach out, say, Jesus, I trust you. I want you in my life. Take the lid off. Help me in my faith. I want to get on this ride with you, God. Lord, I pray for anyone and everyone reaching out to you, that they would experience the unbelievable joy and power and reality of your salvation of the purposes you have for their life, that they can live in all of your fullness. And Lord, for all of us, we want to say, we give you everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.